Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Michael Beller, Derek Van Riper here with you on Friday, July 22nd. We're going to walk you through the waiver wire heading into the first weekend of the second half of the regular season. I will say it right up front. Thank you for bearing with me, whether you're watching us on YouTube or just listening in the podcast feed. Uh, it is true when a pediatrician tells you DVR that you are going to be sick on and off for about a year straight when you put your kid in daycare. Turns out they're they're not lying. So this is just the result of having been nursing a cough for a few days. But I am excited to talk waiver wire with you. Yeah. So you feel good. You don't sound. Your I feel best. fine. We did the unusual thing of, of bringing in someone as a, a sub for someone else I, who also <laughs> is completely healthy. But we brought in someone whose voice is a little bit uh, down from all the other great work you've been doing all week. But uh, thanks for stepping in. Thanks for keeping me from flying solo on this one. Oh, I am happy to do it, DVR. Oh, I just, uh, you know what my voice sounds like normally. It is a rich baritone like yours. We're going to be talking here for a while. There might be a few 14-year-old style voice squeaks that come from me. <laughs> just don't make fun of me. You know what it normally sounds like. The, there will be super cuts made for YouTube, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. I, that's great. That's great. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to get into this. Let's get into this. Uh, let's get into uh, what I think DVR is like the first baseball episode you and I have done together this entire season. Obviously, we've got some shifting responsibilities here at The Athletic. We used to do these together all the time. I think this is the first baseball episode we've done together. So so let's get into it. Let's jump right in. I'm excited. Uh, bad news that we're going to start with here. Coming from Miami, Jazz Chisholm, a stress fracture in his back, according to Craig Mish of SportsGrid. He's probably going to be out until September. Uh, we're looking at a six-week timetable for his return here. So um, that maybe elevates some Marlins infielders into the fantasy baseball consciousness. Who, if anyone, is at the top of your list when you're thinking about potential Chisholm fill-ins this weekend? You know, it hasn't been a productive season at all, and but a lot of injuries is part of the the problem. But Brian Anderson is probably the most interesting of the options they have. I know Joey Wendell continues to play a lot. He's a lefty, hits for a decent average, offers a little bit in the other categories, but mostly just that one. Uh, I think Anderson's still an interesting holdover from previous Marlins teams who's just a good accumulator. But I think this is a team that's really going to be in flux going into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. If you saw the comments that... Don Mattingly was making in his postgame press conference on Thursday after an 8 nothing loss to the Rangers to begin the second half. It seems like this Marlins team is due for a shakeup, and we've looked at them for a long time and said they're among the very few teams that have a lot of talented young pitching to the point where they can actually trade some of that talented young pitching to bolster this core of position players. So, It's probably just short-term glue for your roster if you're looking at players like Anderson and Wendell, but they're a lot more stable right now because of this extended absence for Jazz Chisholm and because John Birdie is on the IL right now, too. Two players that the Marlins offense desperately misses. Um, There is one guy that I think you could keep an eye on for 
post-trade deadline in this situation, too. It's Luan Diaz. He is a first-base-only sort of player. I would be surprised if he doesn't get a look in the second half because you could see one or both maybe of Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar getting flipped to contending teams to be either a first player off the bench types or, or just you know extra depth options for those teams. So I think you know one or two of those guys moving also opens up a lot of playing time for a player like Luan Diaz down the stretch. Yeah, Marlins are going to be one of the interesting teams to watch over this next week and change as we uh, head into this uh, interestingly timed trade deadline, right? August 2nd. We don't typically uh, see an August date for the trade deadline in Major League Baseball, but we've got a few extra days with the 31st falling on a Sunday. So uh, they're going to be one of the teams to watch over these next 10 days or so as uh, we get uh, into the trade deadline and into all the fight. It's not just Juan Soto. There's going to be some other things going on as well. The Giants find themselves in an interesting uh, spot as it relates to the playoff race and the uh, trade deadline. This is a team that certainly could be buyers. Maybe if things go in a weird way, they could be buy and sell at the same time. Evan Longoria, we know, however, is going to be a fixture for this team for the rest of the season. As you say, a guy who plays a little bit more than the other Giants regulars who are in straight platoons, back from the IL, he homered on Thursday in the loss to the Dodgers. Where does he fit into the fantasy baseball picture? Yeah, I think you could probably start thinking about Longoria as a corner infield option for leagues as small as 12-team leagues. He's rostered, I think, in something like 20% of CBS leagues right now, which is a reflection of the amount of time he's missed on the IL. But 22 home runs over the last two seasons combined for Evan Longoria, and that's in 454 plate appearances, so not even a full season's worth to the bats. The underlying numbers look good. This is not a guy that swings at a ton of pitches outside the strike zone. Still draws plenty of walks. He's right there in the heart of a lineup that mixes and matches to score runs. But the time that Longoria missed is he misses is either time on the IL or the occasional day off for load management. He's not one of the regular giants in a clear-cut platoon. And that just bodes really well for his chances of being surprisingly productive on a per-plate appearance basis. Underlying numbers in terms of barrel rate are also good. 13.7%. For Evan Longoria so far this year, picked up right where he left off a season ago when he was at 13.4%, and that's a career best. So to see a guy at 36 years old making the highest quality contact he's ever really made before, at least in the StatCast era, I think that's really encouraging. So just one of those kind of older, boring players that people might be overlooking who's available in more places than he probably should be at this point. Yeah, certainly warms the uh, late 30s hearts of the uh, two people who are uh, talking to you right here on this waiver wire edition of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. See, Evan Longoria is still a really big contributor for this Giants team, a big contributor to a quality baseball team that is uh, definitely contending for a playoff spot and uh, can definitely help out fantasy teams as well. Jose Miranda uh, at the opposite end of that age spectrum, certainly from uh, Evan Longoria. We know the pop is going to be there for uh, for Jose Miranda, and that maybe is all you're going to get, but the slash line has looked a little bit better over the last month or so. Uh, Jose Miranda versus Evan Longoria as a question to you, and then just generally where is Miranda fitting in here? Yeah, I think I'd actually like Longoria just a tick better right now because mm -hmm. I think the Twins are more likely to mix and match with playing time. But even still, it's very close. Last 30 days have been excellent for Jose Miranda. A 290-353-523 line, four homers, including a walk-off against Josh Hader in that series a little before the break between the Twins and the Brewers. I think where he's playing, the fact that he's got multi-position eligibility in a lot of leagues has made him a more versatile player than expected. And we saw really good numbers from him last year. Spent most of the season at AAA, but spent about a third of it at AA. Hit above 340 at both stops, a combined 30 home runs and 
Uh, 17 of those came during his time in St. Paul, which, you know, of course, is not one of the uh, far west coast, high altitude, hitter friendly environments. It's actually a pretty normal place to to hit baseballs. So uh, I do think there's some pretty interesting skills here. And it does seem like they're moving away from Gio Urshela just a little bit more than they were earlier in the season. So I do think uh, Miranda's also tracking toward 12 team relevance right there with Longoria. Yeah, the Twins, another team that'll be interesting to watch over these next uh, 10 days or so uh, with the White Sox nipping at their heels, the Guardians still in the mix here in the AL Central. It's been maybe a little bit more competitive of a season for the Twins than some people expected coming into the year. Looks like they're going to have a good race. Those White Sox healthy, still the best team on paper, unquestionably in the AL Central, but uh, the Twins uh, definitely going to be heard from over these last few months of the season. Let's talk about some catchers here, DVR, Cal Raleigh and Joey Bart, guys who are comfortably available in fantasy leagues to the extent that we could talk about them on a waiver wire episode. Now, I know that uh, you guys have talked about these guys quite a bit, uh, especially Raleigh over these last couple episodes, but he still is like stubbornly available in the fantasy world. So uh, if you need catcher help, these are two places that you can turn. How would you rank them against one another? Who are you prioritizing if they're both sitting out there in your league? Raleigh seems to have a slightly larger share of the playing time in Seattle than Bart has in San Francisco right now. So I would still prefer Raleigh to Bart at this point. Uh, But I do think they're both a lot more interesting today than they were two months ago, especially Bart. I think the signs of improving in terms of plate discipline, the K rates down since he came back from his recent demotion to AAA Sacramento. It feels like he's taking on more of a leadership role in that clubhouse, which is really important. Obviously, the the player he's replacing outright in Buster Posey uh, left a pretty big void in terms of production, but clearly like the face of the franchise too at the time of his retirement. So huge shoes to fill. And it just seems like after a really slow first half, Joey Bard is at least getting a little bit closer to being the player we can expect him to be in the long run. I do think it's important to set fair expectations for a player like Joey Bart. I think because he was the number two pick in that draft, there's this expectation that he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be a very good regular, but the kind of regular for our purposes because of the power that he offers and the run production that might come with it. He ends up being a good option, at least in two catcher leagues, maybe in a 15-team league where you're only using one catcher. There's a chance Joey Bart wrestles enough playing time away from Austin wins to close the gap on Raleigh and, and maybe even make an impact in those formats. But Raleigh, to me, is the slightly better player at this point, hitting 240-306 with a 533 slugging percentage over the last 30 days. So after a really sluggish start, Raleigh has really played his way into those single catcher leagues, and Bart's still a little bit behind that. It's been a big part of the rise of the Seattle Mariners, uh, one of the best teams uh, to close out the first half of the season, now comfortably in the playoff picture. Big series for the Mariners coming out of the break, hosting the Astros this weekend. Another one of those hot teams to wrap up the first half, the Baltimore Orioles. Yes, the Baltimore Orioles, right around 500 after uh, the way they closed things out before the All-Star game. Now that makes them something of a mystery. Going into the trade deadline, I think it's you know folly to expect them to be these big buyers for multiple reasons, but this is a team that finally has reason to feel good about itself, so maybe they're not the obvious sellers that we would think they would be in previous seasons. Ramon Arias uh, playing a lot since returning from his oblique injury, mostly in the bottom third of the order, but the playing time very consistent here, and often that's all we really care about when we're talking about some of these multi-positional types that Urias is. How do you size him up for a standard fantasy league? I think Urias is a great player to have on your bench because if you're dealing with injuries, he can fit in at multiple spots. That versatility is extremely valuable. But the thing that's really drawing me to Urias right now, 
the StatCast numbers are good for the second year in a row. There were flashes of this a season ago. The barrel rate just a shade under 10%. The quality of the contact continues to get better. Arias has a 50% hard hit rate this season. So he might be a little bit unlucky in terms of batting average so far. Hitting 255, that's not going to hurt you. Uh, OBP is a tick low because he's walking less this season than he has in years past. But maybe there's a little bit of regression coming there in the good direction. So I could just see Urias being the kind of guy that even as the Orioles might make a move or two at this deadline, I imagine they're still playing for the long-term future mm-hmm. as opposed to getting you know expiring players. Urias probably is versatile enough to keep playing. The lineup around him might get a little bit better. It probably won't get that much worse. The best hitter they're likely to move is Trey Mancini. And part of the reason they could do something like that is because they could get something back that helps them even more in the long run. So I do look at Arias as just a really solid player that was probably underrated back during draft day, probably got dropped in a lot of deeper mixed leagues during a recent stint on the IL, but he's back now and the underlying numbers actually support the skills he's showing on a per plate appearance basis right now. Trace Thompson back for the Dodgers back in our fantasy lives as well. One of my favorite things to do DVR is just go like see at any given time like who is out for the Dodgers and who's in their lineups and in their rotation and how are they still just cruising right along 61 and 30 to kick things off here in the second half of the season so it's trace thompson now is the guy who uh, we find back in our lives here if you're going to get playing time for the dodgers you probably deserve some sort of attention in the fantasy world how much attention do you think trace thompson is willing or deserving of excuse me at this point I think with Trace Thompson, he's best served in NL-only leagues. I think depending on the schedule, if the Dodgers hit a run where they're going to see a lot of lefties, you can probably use him at least as a streamer in deep mixed leagues. But I think what's really interesting about him, they went out of their way to acquire him as a depth player. I mean, he's 31 years old already, so it's really just a question of whether or not he's going to get enough playing time to see if there's enough here for him to do anything more than he's done in the past. But there's a little bit of power. There's a little bit of speed. There's actually a, a really nice uh, barrel rate so far, 14% in a really limited sample, plenty of hard contact. The question comes back to swing and miss, but the Dodgers brought him back for a reason. So it's probably to be more of a, a small side platoon outfielder. Uh, obviously, right now they're running Jake Lamb out there against a lot of righties. Thompson gets the opportunities against lefties. But if he hits enough in that small side platoon role, it wouldn't surprise me if Thompson ended up playing a little bit more than expected for the Dodgers, so long as Chris Taylor remains on the IL. Gotta assume he can hoop a little bit, right? And Clay can swing the bat a little bit, wouldn't you think? Probably, yeah. I would think there's a little bit of overlap there. Like Growing up, I'm sure they both played both and and played against each other. So they're, they're probably both better than you'd expect at the other sport as a result. And I would love love to see a little bit of uh, a crossover there between the uh, between the Thompson brothers. Uh, trade deadline, we're going to see some uh, crossover in terms of teams making moves, getting together, and making moves over these next ten days. So uh, yeah, we we are often going to be focused on the players who get moved from Team X to Team Y. But you stay on Team X, they got to fill those innings, they got to fill those spots, they got to fill those abs and those plate appearances. Who are you looking at as potential gainers and guys who maybe you can speculate on this weekend knowing that playing time is going to open up for them you know maybe next Wednesday next Friday something like that yeah the first guy Josh Lowe already had a couple things happen Uh, Harold Ramirez got hurt right before the all-star break and the Rays have been playing Ramirez a lot in their outfield so I think Josh Lowe already has a, a larger path to playing time in Tampa Bay than he had even just a week ago so that's pretty exciting but there's also the possibility that he gets traded You know, there's always a chance that the Rays 
find an upgrade for this lineup, find a more established player that they want to have in the fold and low is that major league ready center fielder that a team that's on the rise would actually want to give everyday playing time to. There's power, there's speed. We've talked about him a lot as a guy that had you know, tons to offer at AAA last year, including a 26 for 26 mark as a base dealer. Plenty of power, 22 homers at Durham a year ago. Obviously, there's some swing and miss, but I think with low, that swing and miss comes with a good walk rate too, and that preserves his real life value. It gives him chances to play every day. And as long as he's in this now battered Rays outfield, I think there's a chance that Lowe surprises us in the second half of the season after being a disappointing you know, kind of late round flyer slash sleeper back during draft season. I had Lowe a few places back in April, had to cut him loose when the Rays optioned him down at the end of that first month. But I'm willing to pick him up again, even in 15 team mixed leagues, given that he can help in multiple categories. Nick Prado, someone who uh, is on the radar as well with the, the same sort of thought in mind. Yeah, so Prado is actually up now with the Royals. This just happened before we started recording, and I think he's pretty interesting because you could see the Royals taking players like Hunter Dozier and Andrew Benintendi. He's been obviously mentioned in trade rumors for probably more than a month now, Mm -hmm. and finding those guys some new homes. They're definitely looking at this younger core, and I think you could see a combination of Prado and Vinny Pasquantino just sharing first base and DH for the rest of the season. I'm really curious to see if they give Prado opportunities to play in the outfield, if they can find some other use for him too, just because more defensive versatility would would ease some of the playing time concerns. Uh, it was strange because Prado, coming off of last season and thinking about how these two players between Prado and Pascantino were valued for a long time as prospects, it seemed like Prado would debut first. And then obviously their performance in the minors this year dictated that Pasquantino got that chance ahead of time. But Prado has turned it around a bit after a slow start. It could be a bit of a batting average risk in the short term, but there's power and there's non-zero speed on the corner, which is always nice to have in your back pocket. One of those spots where you don't really expect to get stolen bases, but if you got a handful of those down the stretch too, you probably wouldn't be disappointed. So I'm interested right away. I thought we were going to have to wait even longer for the trade to open up that spot, but by the time there's a roster crunch, some of the players that are currently there might be gone on other teams. Got to imagine this is going to be one of the biggest sellers out there. And uh, we, as we learned when this team went to Toronto, Andrew Benintendi maybe made things a little bit harder on the Royals to move him uh, in these next couple of days leading up to the trade deadline. But there is nothing going on here for the Royals in terms of competing for a playoff spot. There are a lot of guys who could be useful to contending teams. So got to believe uh, that the Royals are going to be an active, active team, and it's not going to be someone like Prado or Pasquantino getting moved. So should be plenty of playing time for those guys, maybe even everyday playing time for them in the second half of the season. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Let's get on to some pitchers here, DVR. Let's start with the starters, and let's start with Max Meyer, who made his Major League debut right before the All-Star break. Now, obviously, this is someone who we've had our eyes on for quite a while here. He was someone who we talked about you know, months ago as, is this the week you speculate? Is that the week you speculate? So not a surprise that he is not widely available, but still available enough for him to be part of our waiver discussion here. Certainly, it's shallower leagues that we're talking about. Is he rosterable in the very shallowest fantasy leagues in your estimation? I think he is. And I think part of what helps here is a few things. Uh, Being in Miami, it's a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So home streaming is almost baked in for any reasonably talented Marlin starter. And Max Meyer appears to be a well-above-average starting pitcher. 5Ks in that debut. I know had a little trouble. I think it was the third time through the order. Ended up giving up five earned runs in total over five and a third innings. But the underlying numbers from our friend Eno Saris' pitching model we're very good. I brought this up, I think, on the Tuesday episode this week. The stuff plus number at 117.5 is excellent for a starter. The location being above average, especially for a pitcher in his big league debut where that number tends to run a little bit lower than usual. That's really encouraging. Really good numbers on the slider. He threw the slider almost 50% of the time in that debut and had a 41% called strike and whiff rate with that pitch. Uh, Four-seamer looked pretty good at 95 miles an hour. Did mix in some change-ups as well. Those weren't quite as effective. So he looks like a legit three-pitch starter. Even if the team is a bit of a mess offensively, I think they can afford to let him go five-plus on a regular basis because the innings he pitched last season should allow him to pitch every fifth day through the end of the regular season thanks to the time he's already missed due to injury. He's not going to hit an innings cap a month from now. He's probably not going to hit an innings cap at all this season. And when you're looking at rosters that might have Spencer Strider, George Kirby, Mackenzie Gore, Ronzi Contreras, a lot of the young pitchers that have pitched well in their opportunities so far, you're going to have to find a way to get from here to there. And if you're in a shallow league, Meyer might still be available. I know in Anything with more than 12 teams, he was probably picked up last weekend. But I'm really encouraged by what we saw in the underlying numbers with those pitches and how good those pitches actually are for Max Meyer right from the jump. We'll get another look at him, too, this weekend against the Pirates before Fab runs again on Sunday. Yeah, should be a friendly spot for Meyer against the Pirates. And man, we just talk about all these guys. And it's just like, as an agnostic baseball fan, it's like, just get the get this team some bats. Please, for the love of God, get this team some bats because this could be an instantly fun team if they are just able to finally build out an offense. We've been saying something similar, DVR. You certainly have been uh, about the Brewers over the last few years. A team that has lived on its starting pitching, has had some offense, maybe not quite enough to get them over the hump in this competitive window that they've been in. Freddie Peralta, obviously a big part of that. And so a great news for Brewers fans and for anyone who has been stashing Freddie Peralta of late appears to be nearing a rehab assignment. That is great news. If everything checks on the timetable that it appears to be on right now, we could be talking about Freddie Peralta back on the mound in a Brewer's uniform sometime in the middle of August. So, I mean, easy ad wherever he would be available. That is uh, That goes without saying. I guess, what are fair expectations for Freddie Peralta when he does make a move uh, or return, excuse me, to the Brewer's? The peripherals were great at the time of the injury. Peralta had a 50-13 to 13 strikeout to walk ratio in 38 and two-thirds innings. Only allowed one home run in his first eight starts. I think there was a little bit of bad luck on balls in play in one 
maybe two of those starts that really kind of uh, pushed the ERA up above four. I, I think he was picking up right where he left off in 2021. I think part of the reason I wanted to bring him up is I thought we had a little more time to possibly stash him in leagues where he was dropped. Obviously, most of those leagues are leagues where you don't have IL spots. Uh, I saw going into the break and the week before that even, he was being scooped up. I think the main thing I would say is injury optimism can be dangerous, but if you are chasing in the pitching categories, especially in the ratios, taking the flyer on an injured pitcher that has a lot of ceiling makes a lot of sense. So if you missed out on Freddie Peralta, I think Dustin May is another guy that could make a pretty big impact down the stretch. I mean, once he's fully back, I could see him bumping someone out of this Dodgers rotation. They're going to have to find a way to manage innings the way they often do. And this goes back, this is even a young pitcher thing for the Dodgers. Think about the way they've managed Kenta Maeda for years, right? So if they're looking at Tony Gonsolin right now and saying, hey, you know, he was hurt, had a lot of shoulder stuff he's dealt with. We got to find a way to keep him healthy into October, scaling back his workload on the stretch mm-hmm. is one way to do that. And he's not the only guy they could do that to. So I think there could be plenty of innings for Dustin May to work as a traditional starter once he is cleared to come back. It sounds like he's scheduled to throw three innings in his rehab outing at AAA Oklahoma City. That's today on Friday. So it's probably one more inning in each of his next two starts after that, and then an opportunity to return probably in the early part of August. So uh, given that May is the kind of guy that could help you across the board, we're talking about someone whose career ERA in the big leagues is under three. The whip is just barely above one, and he's basically been a strikeout per inning guy to this point. I think you want to go ahead and stash Dustin May now in leagues where he was obviously never drafted coming off of Tommy John surgery. Yeah, definitely one of those potential massive difference makers. Obviously, nothing guaranteed with a guy coming back from uh, the injuries that he is coming back from. But if everything clicks right, as you like to say, DVR, a what could go right sort of addition to your team, Dustin May. And just I know this isn't the point of this episode, but I, I'm not going to let this uh, opportunity pass by when I'm talking to you. Like, can your boys? You know, I'm sitting here as a Cubs fan. Like, obviously, the Cubs suck. Can your boys please do something in the in this deadline and like be interesting going into the break or going into the postseason, assuming they get there and not just be some patsy for the Dodgers or the Mets to roll over in three games? Like, can they add something on the offense? I hope so. Uh, they've <laughs> certainly got young talent to do it. I don't think they would trade like Jackson Churio, who we've talked mm-hmm. about on a Tuesday episode, mm-hmm. is probably their best prospect far and away right now. I don't think they're the kind of team that's moving Chorio to make a move uh, unless the Brewers are the secret team in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. <laughs> Even then, I don't think they have the depth in their system to pull it off. I'd love to see it. Um, I, what I'm hoping for is just a an offense that's less dependent on the long ball. You know, I hope they could add some depth to this lineup. One more high-quality bat would certainly help, uh, but they just seem like the kind of team that they're not getting MVP Christian Yelich back. That's just yeah. not happening. He's... He's Marlins Yelich again, and that was a really good player, and that's fine. But you just have to make moves at the deadline if you're in David Stearns' position that reflect the lack of a true MVP talent in the lineup. And if the closest player to that's probably Willie Adames right now. And I would say even Hunter Renfro might be a more dangerous power hitter at this stage yeah. than Christian Yelich is. So is that going to hold up against the Mets and the Dodgers? Probably not. The Padres, if they, were, if they win the Juan Soto sweepstakes, oof. That team is a lot more dangerous offensively than the Brewers, too, assuming a Tatis return. So I hope they make the move. I'm just really curious to see who it actually would be since they seem like they're going to probably shop from the bargain bin again. Yeah, definitely seems like that. But come on, Brewers, you've got these pitchers like, come on, 
make things interesting, shake things up here leading into the deadline. Uh, team that definitely uh, is already uh, toward the top of the standings is going to be the World Series favorite or among the World Series favorites. Going to the playoffs is the Yankees. Uh, Luis Severino, however, uh, isn't going to uh, be throwing for uh, about two weeks here. So uh, they've got Domingo Herman filling in the rotation for him for now. This is a team that certainly could be motivated to make a move for a starting pitcher. Uh, what does Herman look like to you in the fantasy world right now? I think he's just a streamer. I mean, this is a guy that missed uh, all of 2020 with a domestic violence suspension, missed time last year with a shoulder injury. So he's a glue guy for this team. I think the team context that they could use him, take him out of starts reasonably early, turn it over to a great bullpen, gives him a decent win probability. But I would actually be very careful with him. I just want to bring him up because I saw Mm. the roster rates were going through the roof and I'm apparently a lot less sold on the talent here than a lot of other people out there are. So just tread carefully. It's a difficult place to pitch park-wise as well, and there's absolutely no guarantee that Herman is going to hold onto the spot for more than another few starts. He does have the possibility of a two-start week, I believe, the week after this one. He's got the Mets coming up this week, and it's a possible two-step after that, but it's a pretty big leap of faith that he even gets to make both of those starts because mm-hmm. I'm on the side that thinks that they would probably add a starting pitcher now at the deadline, given the Severino injury. Yeah, versus Seattle at St. Louis in those two starts also. So, you know, the Cardinals obviously uh, faltered a little bit going into the break, but that's not like it's the greatest set of matchups either if he were to get both of those starts in the week after this one that is coming up. Chris Archer back in our Fantasy Lives DVR, and, you know, he's never going to go, like, super deep into games, but... He's been generally effective. I think that's a fair tag we can place on Chris Archer over his uh, recent performance and really stretching back for a good chunk of the season. We're talking about a mid-threes ERA on the year, not striking out a ton of guys, but you know he's basically checking the sort of back-end rotation box that you would ask of him at the start of the year. How do you factor him into the fantasy mix? So you're still worried a little bit about the workload, but I think you're worried about it less from a pure management perspective now because we've seen... Since the start of June, Chris Archer going into the fifth inning and finishing the fifth inning on a somewhat regular basis. It's it's still five and fly, so it's the bare minimum to actually get wins. But three of his last seven starts have at least completed five innings. The ratios, I think, are a bit better than they would be otherwise because of the way the Twins manage him, because they don't let him face the lineup the third time through very often. So we're talking about a guy that's got a 341 ERA and a 126 whip for the season. Those are his best ratios since 2015 with the Rays. It's been a long time since Chris Archer was this good on a per-inning basis. The K rate is not nearly as high as it used to be. Um, This is the guy that I'm a little more interested in going forward than I was back in April and May when it was pretty consistently three to four innings per outing for Archer. Yeah, definitely a guy who, uh, at the very least, is on the stream radar and uh, has seemed to find that level uh, that makes you feel comfortable rostering him even beyond uh, a stream. So Chris Archer, someone to think about this week. A couple other veterans that you can think about, Mitch Keller and Jose Quintana in Pittsburgh. Uh, Guys who've maybe fallen to a similar bucket, maybe even the exact same bucket, to Archer. So how would you compare them to him, and how would you compare them to one another, given that they've got the same matchup this coming week? So I like Archer's situation better just because I feel like there's less potential damage to your ERA and whip based on how they use them, Mm -hmm. and the team context is better. The Twins should score a lot more runs than the Pirates, and even though their bullpen has underperformed to this point, the talent in the Twins' bullpen is also good enough to help protect those leads. Keller and Quintana are more in that vein of of pitchers that I'm thinking about if I'm really desperate 
if I'm already buried in the ratios, and I have a couple teams like this, I've talked about them throughout the season, and I'm just looking for volume. I'm looking to chase Ks and just hope to get lucky in terms of wins. I think Keller and Quintana can help. I actually like Keller a little bit more than Quintana at this point. We're finally starting to see regression bite Quintana just a little bit. He's not the same guy that he was with the White Sox that we were all excited about when the Cubs traded for him. He's definitely like late career Jose Quintana at this point. I think being in the NL Central, it just means you've got a few spots where you can actually stream him. Keller could at least figure something out to the point where there's a little more use than that. So just two guys who are frequently available in mixed leagues that I think offer a little more value than expected. Kind of a recurring theme. It's not a great week for pitching on the waiver wire. There aren't a lot of good two steps either. The schedule's kind of a mess. It's a lot of guys that were managed very carefully around the all-star break coming back with two steps this week. So not a lot of good volume out there to chase. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's dive into some of those uh, decisions that are going to be made based around a schedule, and let's start with Dane Dunning there. Uh, Rangers are going to hit the road next week uh, in their Division Four series with the Mariners and the Angels, and Dane Dunning is going to face both of those teams next week. So you like the two-step. You don't necessarily love the matchup with the surging Mariners. Where does Dane Dunning sit on your radar? One of the few two-start pitchers I see out there that I actually want, it's more because of the second matchup against the Angels. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trout's on the IL right now. Even if Trout's healthy, they're so top-heavy. The loss of Anthony Rendon is huge. Jared Walsh has taken a step back this year. Uh, there's a lot of players in this lineup. Brandon Marsh has underperformed some of our expectations as well. A lot of players in this lineup that are really quad-A-type bats, so... I think it's a plus matchup almost anytime you see a pitcher facing the Angels right now. With Dunning, I think there's a question of just how good is he? I think the good news here is he threw five innings in his most recent rehab start, so he won't be cut short because of workload concerns. He would only be cut short in these starts because he's not effective. And I think this speaks more to the lack of viable, available alternatives but I do think Dunning is good enough to try and push him out there, at least in 15-team leagues, where you've got a spot where you could use that two-step. Cubs are going to be among the most active sellers in the majors as well, leading into the trade deadline. Wilson Contreras going to have a new home. David Robertson going to have a new home, and we'll hit on these relievers in a second here. Adrian Sampson is someone who is going to be in a Cubs uniform come August 2nd. I am confident in <laughs> that. So, well, let's talk about Adrian Sampson, a guy who has factored into the Cubs Starting pitching mix, he's going to get what is a friendly matchup next week against the Pirates. As you said, there aren't a ton of great options to add in the starting pitching realm this weekend. So does the dearth of options make Adrian Sampson at least semi-attractive? Yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting much in terms of strikeout rate. Pure matchups play here. It's like a min-bid streamer. It's just the don't ignore him. I think it's the favorable spot at home against the lineup that really doesn't scare you at all at this point especially with brian reynolds still Mm -hmm. on the il with that oblique injury a few questions here in the chat a few comments Uh, just bob yeah dane dunning is coming off the il to make that two-step but just finished up his rehab assignment with his last outing Uh, and then brexton garrett was a name that just bob threw out there earlier if he's still out there even in a 12-team league i think a lot of the things i was saying about max meyer with the park being really good uh, that offers such a nice floor for a pitcher like Garrett that I would definitely consider picking up Garrett, even in a shallow league if I was looking for a pitcher. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. 
there are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, DVR, let's talk about some of these relievers. Um, it's an interesting market. We talked about this on yesterday's episode, on the Thursday episode. Me and Al had Greg Jewett on. Greg obviously does great work breaking down the reliever market top to bottom and then some in the fantasy world. And so it's it's interesting in that a lot of the teams that, you know, you look at the standings and you see, oh, they stink, they're going to sell, let's see who their closer is, are guys who have long contracts and guys who are pitching pretty well. And so teams might not necessarily be just like the auto sell that you would expect. I would say the two guys who are obvious closers for their teams right now who are almost certain to get moved, David Robertson, he's on a one-year deal with the Cubs. Daniel Bard, he's a free agent after this year. Beyond that, like, you know, the Pirates aren't going to be like crazy motivated to move David Bedner, things like that. It's even the Orioles aren't going to be, you know, crazy motivated to move Lopez. And so you look up and down at uh, at who might be available, and it might not be quite as obvious as it has been in seasons past. Definitely check out that, uh, that uh, episode before you make your fab bids as we were able to really dig into relievers in a way that we don't have enough time to do here. But what are you keeping your eye on? Uh, for the trade deadline that you can act on this weekend in the fab world. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to figure out in the Cubs bullpen who else gets moved. I mean, I expect yeah. David Robertson to go somewhere. There's at least a chance that a contending team, if it's the right contending team, he could still close somewhere else. Possible. More likely than not, he won't. But, you know, a non-zero chance he's still getting saves after the deadline. But does Chris Martin go too? Does Michael Givens also go? Like, How far mm-hmm. down the depth chart do you have to go before you find someone that you like that they have under control long enough where you could say, I believe that this player is good and I believe that this player is also <laughs> not going to be traded. Is it Scott Efros? Like, where, yeah. Who is that reliever in this bullpen that you're stashing if you're stashing one Cubs reliever for the post-deadline part of the season? It's not Givens. Givens is on a one-year deal, too. He's going to get traded. I think it's probably Efros or Rowan Wick. I mean, those are the guys who I feel most confident in are going to be uh, Cubs still after the trade deadline. I would, If, I was, if I'm picking one, I'd probably pick Efros. Yeah. He's not going to get traded. He's been good enough this season. He's like the safest bet. If Martin and Efros are still Cubs, I would bet Martin's the closer, or at least has the first shot at it. But what I really think is that David Ross has shown us his hand here before and that once Robertson's gone, this team's not going to have a dedicated closer the rest of the season. Oh, yay. That's my favorite. I love closer <laughs> committees, especially on teams that aren't going to win especially a lot in the final are, two months. Yeah, exactly, right? That's the best part of it. A team that's going to play like 350 ball the rest of the season uh, having a closer committee. That's, uh, that's, that's super fun to figure out. I was trying to figure out, is there any value behind the play is this pj higgins interesting enough for two catcher leagues if they trade wilson Contreras and that, well, that's Gomes? a guarantee that's not an if dvr well yeah but is it both <laughs> or is it just one because if they keep gomes then gomes plays enough where mm-hmm. you know he's the guy that maybe gets a little more interesting we've seen Jan gomes do it before but he's also pretty old and doesn't have that much ceiling they're they're just a weird team because their their next level depth isn't good. Like their no. farm system, <laughs> two to three years out might be pretty interesting, but uh-huh. there's not a lot in the space between those really young, interesting players and then the guys that are currently on the big league roster. Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be a fun second half for uh, for the Cubs for Cubs fans. But hey, at <laughs> least uh, you know they've got like the almost certainly four and thirteen Bears to look forward to coming up right behind them. Um, Northwestern going to be good this year. 
DVR, come on. Dude, no I'm one sorry. I, I'm not trying to be mean. Northwestern ran that ad campaign a few years ago, calling themselves Chicago's Big Ten team. And I'm from Chicago. I live in Chicago. I went to a Big Ten school. It was with you at Wisconsin. There are like eight Big Ten teams that are more popular than Northwestern in Chicago. Yeah, I think Wisconsin is probably Chicago's Big Ten team. And then I would say a team that's not Illinois. even in the division. <laughs> I would just say, it, it, no, it's probably just Notre Dame, even though they're not in the Big yeah, Ten. Like right. they, they just take that place. So Yeah, Northwestern is Chicago's Big Ten team. If Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Indiana, <laughs> Purdue are all suddenly out of the Big Ten, and Iowa. If all those teams are suddenly out of the Big Ten, then congratulations, Northwestern. You are Chicago's Big Ten team. Let's get this question in from Disco Dave before we wrap things up here. 12-team Roto, looking at Arias, McNeil, or Ruiz. Uh, which is one of these guys? If you're making one, which one is it? I think I still want Jeff McNeil out of that bunch. I, I think run production, especially like the run score, the average are going to be good. There's a little bit of power, not a ton of speed. I just think he's the best all-around player. If you're chasing steals, then Esteri Ruiz sort of jumps to the top of the list because of categorical needs. But the best all-around player for me of that bunch is probably Jeff McNeil because of the team context and the skills. It's just not the skills that we're, we're prone to chasing. We're usually looking power and speed first, and that's a little bit of a weakness for McNeil. I definitely like the fact that he's just on a good team too, right? I mean, there's 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 going to be some value in just being part of a good team, team that's going to put up runs, team that's going to have a lot of guys on base, a lot of traffic. You got to like that. Hey, let's get another question in before we wrap things up for Mr. Grouch86, India or Merrifield the rest of the year? What do you think, DVR? <sighs> Whit Merrifield is a player that I've never believed in and I've been <laughs> wrong every single year. And Until this, this year, year sort of. this year I finally started. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I finally started to say, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe it's a me problem. Maybe Whit Merrifield's a good player and I've just been wrong about him for four <laughs> years. It turns out I'm buying in right in the midst of a decline. I, I mm. think India is a good, well-balanced player that I would ordinarily just trust more in a vacuum. I think the reason why I would keep rolling with Whit Merrifield is because the stolen bases can come in bunches from him. I think we've seen this in the past. And even when he was good, the reasons I didn't like him were a lot of the underlying stack cast numbers weren't good. So it's not like you look at that and say, ah, see, he's really fallen off. It's like, well, he's just never done that stuff all that well. He's a different kind of player. So uh, I, I think he might be less likely to get traded than people realize. I think the Royals are, are definitely kind of a crockpot lineup sort of team with Mike Matheny where they just like to leave Whit Merrifield in the lineup every day, like to lead him off every day, and that might actually give him some bounce back potential. I mean, this guy's been in trade deadline rumors going back to like 2016 every single year, and so it wouldn't be a huge shock to see the Royals hold on to him through one more deadline. Thank you for bearing with this voice for one full episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are going to call it an episode and wish you good luck in your fab endeavors this weekend. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Have yourselves a great weekend. Fantasy Baseball Podcast back with you for your usual four episodes next week. We'll talk to you then. See you.